hear God as He speaks to us again this morning from John chapter 8. Again Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows Me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to Him, You are bearing witness about Yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, Even if I bear testimony about Myself, My testimony is true, for I know where I came from and from where I am going. But you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, where is your Father? And Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my Father. If you knew me, you would know my Father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple. But no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. So he said to them, I am going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sins. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, Will he kill himself? Since he says, Where I am going, you cannot come. He said to them, You are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So they said to him, Who are you? And Jesus said to them, Just what I have been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world that I have heard from him. They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father, so Jesus said to them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but I speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me, He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to Him. And as He was saying these things, many believed in Him. And Lord Jesus, we ask that You would also work in our hearts in such a way that we would be drawn closer and closer to You in everything we pray. Amen. Please be seated. And if you would, grab your Bibles. Turn to John chapter 8. John chapter 8, verses 12 through 30, is a longer section, and I hope you didn't get too lost in the midst of that. In particular, one of the things I've been encouraging people is to read the Bible slowly. And what I mean by that is to take the time to look at the passage that that we're looking at, take the time and try to say, how does everything fit together? How, what exactly is connected here? So I wanted to ask a question basically before we got going and to ask you guys, what's the most remarkable verse in the section we just looked at? Now, I didn't want to ask the question before I read it because I didn't want you to be distracted looking for this particular verse that Henry has in mind. I will just tell you that of all of the verses here, and there are so many remarkable things that Jesus says, The one that struck me the most was verse 30. Look at the last verse in the section. And again, I would have completely passed over this if I wasn't reading it slowly and saying, wait, how does this all connect? Listen to what the narrator says here. As Jesus was saying these things, many believed in Him. Now, 
That stands out as remarkable for me only because when I read the dialogue between Jesus and the Pharisees, there are lots of things that that passage evokes from me, but belief isn't necessarily one of them. I would read that passage and I could possibly imagine getting angry when Jesus says, I am from above and you are from below. Or I can imagine being scared when Jesus says, you will die in your sins. But mostly, I read that passage or I hear it read, and I suspect that with you, I say, what? Like it's just, there's just a whole lot going on there, and it's not really clear at all at what's happening. And so my thought is, as I've been reading this text through the days, I've been sitting there most of the time just going, huh? How exactly? It's confusion is the thing that primarily jumps out at me, which is great that the author then reminds us again that when we come to the Word of God, when we come to God's Word to us, when Jesus speaks, men and women believe. Men and women put their faith in the Lord when confronted by His Word. And this is what I hope and pray happens even today, having heard this passage that might sound pretty chaotic, what's going on there, Nevertheless, we trust that the power of God's Word is such that in this room, right now, many might believe in ways that they hadn't before we have exposed to this Scripture passage. C.S. Lewis, a famous apologist, many of you guys would know him, author from last century, he was, uh, said many famous things. One of the things that he says that I've always uh, appreciated very much is he said, I believe in Christianity like I believe that the sun rose this morning. Not only because I can see it, but also because by it I see everything else. I believe in Christianity not only like I believe that the sun rose this morning. Not only because I see it, but also because by it I see everything else. I don't know if Lewis had in mind this particular passage. I suspect that he didn't. But if he did, it would fit incredibly well for here the crux of this text is there in verse 12. And we're going to look a lot at verse 12 where Jesus stands before a crowd and says, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. Now, there's a long dialogue that follows afterwards, and I want to help chart out a little bit of this. I believe that part of our responsibility is to communicate the text back and forth, so I want to give you at least a little bit of a handle on what I think the dialogue is, so that after this, if you go back and you read through this section, you can kind of see, hey, is that really what's going on? How does this passage, this interaction between Jesus and the Pharisees, follow naturally upon his assertion that he is the light of the world. Well, I think, again, verse 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And immediately then, the Pharisees say, Who says? Why should we trust you? That's basically what happens in verse 13. And Jesus says, Well, I say so, and my Father says so. The Pharisees respond with, Well, who's your Father? Who's He? And Jesus then says, If you knew Me... You would know my Father. This is down verse uh, 19 there. If you knew me, you would know who he is as well. And the Pharisees respond with a, huh? That's the translation there of uh, verse 21. Huh? And the Pharisees say, huh? And Jesus says, you're blind 
and therefore you can't see me for who I am. Pharisees then, verse 25, say, well, who are you? And Jesus says, I have been trying to tell you. I am from above. And the Pharisees say, where? And Jesus says, one day you will see me as I truly am. Now, I think that's the confusion in the dialogue that follows afterward. That's why when I get to that last verse there, where it says, many believed in him, I sit and I think, wow, the power of the Spirit to be working through the Scriptures, to work through the Word of God, so that many will come to believe and to know. It's just amazing here, given that dialogue and interchange that takes place. But all of this is set up by the fact that Jesus stands there and says, I am the light of of the world. Now, where does he get that metaphor? Obviously, what he's using, he's using some kind of a language metaphor here to identify that he is the light of the world. That doesn't mean that he's beaming forth or something like that. It's a, it's a metaphor to attract this. Now, it might be tempting, especially in light of the C.S. Lewis quote that I gave a little bit ago about the sun going up, it might be tempting to think that what Jesus is identifying is, hey, you see that big gaseous ball that raises up in the sky every day and gives light to the world because the Jews clearly understood where light came from and Jesus clearly understood that. We understand the light of the world here, the sun that rises above. It might be tempting to think that what Jesus was saying is, hey, just like that sun comes up and lights the world, I am just like that. Maybe, but I don't think so. I don't necessarily think so because the events of chapter 8 here that we're looking at are intimately tied with what takes place in chapter 7. And in chapter 7, we're told that Jesus is, goes to Jerusalem along with all the other Jews of the nation. As many as could possibly come, they come to Jerusalem for the Feast of the Tabernacles. Now, the Feast of the Tabernacles is one of a numerous annual celebrations that the Jewish nation went through that reminded them of important events in their history. Feast of Tabernacles would have been one of the most crucial ones because it charted for them the events that took place 1,400 years earlier when the Israelites were released from bondage in Egypt, went down to Mount Sinai to get the Ten Commandments, and then wandered through the wilderness for 40 years. So during the Feast of Tabernacles, an annual event that took place that reminded them of this historical event that happened 1,400 years earlier. Think of how long ago 1,400 years is. 1,400 years ago, they're celebrating now this event for a week-long party, a week-long festival. And that festival had lots of different things that took place. There were annual sa- there were sacrifices that took place. There were different events that took place. Those kind of things, all marking the celebration of this traveling through uh, the 40 years in the wilderness. One of the things that all the Jews would do is that they would live outside. They would build a little hut or they would have a tent or something like that. They would live outside for the week to remind them that they did not always, as a nation, have homes but that they often just wandered and followed the Lord wherever he went. One of the key aspects of that wilderness wandering was the fact that they, were follow, that they followed the very presence of God pictured in a pillar of fire at night and a pillar of cloud during the day. When Moses was told, you will lead these people for 40 years through the wilderness, Moses says, don't send me alone, I, don't know, do, I can't do it. 
And God said, no, my angel, I will come with you. My presence will be with you. And He comes with a big pillar. God is present among His people in a pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud during the day. And so for 40 years, think about this, for 40 years the Israelites were never in darkness. During the day they had the sun and they followed after the pillar of cloud. And at night the pillar of fire burned brightly enlightening the whole camp so that never for 40 years were the Israelites in darkness as they were learning faithful obedience to follow after the Lord. 1,400 years later, during the Feast of Tabernacles, Jesus would have been among those people that celebrated that event. And the way in which they celebrated that event, this took place on the first day of the festival and the last day of the festival, and it might have happened on every day in between. The the evidence isn't clear on that. But what would happen is that at nighttime, all of the Jews would come gather in the court of the of the temple. The temple had a big open courtyard and all the Jews would gather there. There could be literally thousands of Jewish people that would pack themselves into the courtyard. And at night, as the light goes down, sun goes down, and things begin to get dark. We lose track of how dark things can get because of our artificial lights and everything. You have to imagine how dark it really gets, completely dark. And set there in the middle of the courtyard are two very big columns, two tall columns, and on top of both of the columns, there's this big shallow bowl that is filled with oil. And the light, as the light gets darker and darker, have you ever seen those really tacky, romantic Christmas movies on TV? You know, who watches those things? I do. <laughs> okay, so if you do, you'll know that part of almost every one of them, there is a Christmas tree lighting ceremony that happens. So, oh, I see people nodding. You know, you're, you're betraying yourselves watching these tacky Christmas shows. So what happens is that the whole town pulls out. They all gather in the middle of the town square or whatever. And then the, uh, you know, the cute little kid from the movie or the hero of the show or something, he's the guy that throws the switch. And as soon as you throw the switch, what happens? The light pops on in the tree or the gazebo or whatever it is. And, and the whole crowd orients themselves immediately to the tree. And they all go, aww. And hey, isn't that cute? And everybody is all, aww, that's wonderful. Okay, so I imagine all the Jews are in the courtyard and they're surrounding these two massive pillars and they're all waiting. And I don't know if there was some cue or whatever, but the, it would get dark. It would be completely dark. And then, bam, they would light these massive torches on top of these columns. And the massive torches would flood the courtyard with light. And I just imagine all of the people there standing around, all looking up going, Oh, light! And booming voice, where nobody expects it, screaming out, crying out, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. You're all looking in the wrong place. I am the light of the world. All the Israelite people are all looking up. They're trying to see the torches burning all over the place. And Jesus is saying, you're looking for light and you're looking in all the wrong places. Now we don't have emphasis or stress in the biblical material. It's possible that Jesus, when He says this, says, I am the light of the world. 
Or it's possible that Jesus says, I am the light. Whoops, I just did that one. I am the light of the world. You know, or something like that. I think what Jesus says is, I am the light of the world. And I think it's clear by the dialogue that he has with the Pharisees afterwards, where the Pharisees are saying to him, who are you? That Jesus stands there before everybody and in a loud voice proclaims the name of Yahweh. Yahweh, I am the light of the world. And it's interesting there in the, towards the middle of the passage there in verse 20 where Jesus says, where the text says, these words Jesus spoke while he was in the temple, but no one arrested him. Why do you mention that no one arrested him? Because he's saying these things. He's interrupting the most important service, festival of the time here. We're supposed to be celebrating. All the Jews are supposed to gather together and celebrate the presence of God in our midst. And while we are excited about celebrating the presence of God, here is this voice that screams out that says, you're looking at the wrong thing. Look at me. And we know very well that if you don't fill the darkness in your heart with our Lord and Savior, you will fill it with something else. We know that everyone is seeking, everyone desires to fill that emptiness in their life, to fill that darkness in their life. And if you don't fill it with Jesus, you will fill it with something else. And Jesus is speaking to all these people and saying, you're all looking the wrong way. These are good Christian people who have all come to church and who are all gathering around a major church event and we're all excited for the Bible study and we're all excited for the service and we're all excited for the fellowship and we're all excited for... And Jesus says, you're looking at the wrong thing. You need to be looking at Me. What a great fear there would be that there would be anybody in this room right now that comes to church really faithfully, that does their Bible study, that does their devotions, that serves really faithfully, that ties really faithfully, and is looking at the wrong thing. Jesus stands here and says, Look at Me. I am He says, I am the light of the world. He talks about the world here. Now one of the pictures is the contrast between the the celebration of God's presence that the tabernacle, the Feast of Tabernacles represents. Where you've got the pillar of cloud, pillar of fire that led the Israelites around because while the Israelites were bathed in light 24 hours a day, the other nations around were clothed in darkness because of that very pillar. When the Egyptians came after the Israelites, that pillar cast light upon the Israelites and darkness upon the nations. And yet, the Scriptures tell us that eventually the Savior will come. And Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, saying, it's not enough that you will be my Savior, my servant, to save the Israelites You will be a light to the Gentiles. There's a light to everybody. There is no possibility of any people in this world, any spot in this world, where our Savior's light does not beam forth. And we as a people must be more and more committed, not simply to seeing the light of Christ in our own hearts and in our family light, in our community, but throughout the world, 
everywhere Christ goes. This is a geographic command where He says, I am the light of the world. Everything. But I think it's more than just that. This is not simply a call for us to support our missionaries and to be missionary workers and stuff like that. This is also a call very clearly for us when Jesus says, I am the light of every part of your world. I'm a strong believer in the way in which Scripture portrays our salvation. That when when God taps us and calls us to Himself, when we are redeemed by the Lord Jesus Christ, that we are securely safe in God's hands. Satan cannot touch us there. But he can still tempt us. And he can still ruin our witness. And I think part of what he does, how he does that is by compartmentalizing in our life. And Satan says, that's fine. You go ahead and let this Jesus character be the light for your salvation. Or you let him be the light for your eternal life. Or you allow Him to be your light for your moral life. But your family life, that's governed by the personalities that are there. And you have to juggle all those personalities. Or your financial life, that's burdened by all of the responsibilities you have and the needs that you have. Your entertainment life, that's when you're off on your own and you get good downtime all by yourself. Or your relationships, that's dominated by your heart or something like that. And Satan is just so happy if we compartmentalize Jesus off into a little part of our corner where we call our religious life and then allow that other part of our life to remain Seeking something to fill the darkness, because that's what's left. Nothing but darkness in the rest of our lives. As believers, when Jesus stands before us and says, I am the light of the world, I am the light of every part of your life, there's not a part of your life that does not belong to Jesus Christ. There is not a part of your life where He does not shine His light upon you. And if you do not have His light shine shining in your finance, if you do not allow His light to be shining in your family, if you do not allow His light to shine in your job, something else will fill that darkness. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows after Me. Verse 12. Whoever follows after Me. This is an open invitation. This is not something that is restricted to people who look like me or who feel like me or who think like me. This is God's expressive expanse to say that this gospel message is open to all peoples. Whoever follows after me will not walk in darkness. And we don't have a good picture of darkness because we have artificial light everywhere and we... Seriously, think about the time that you've been in the dark. Most of us can't even think of that kind of a thing because there's always some kind of ambient light around. We're used to living in the gloom or in the, in the darkerness. But in the darkness, uh, I travel every once in a while. I'm sure you guys all have too. And you get into a hotel room or whatever and you have to get up in the middle of the night and go to the bathroom or whatever. And you kind of stumble your way around. You kind of know the bathroom's over there and you can eventually find it. But, you know, once you throw on the light switch and wake up everybody else, then you go, oh, okay, that's where the room is laid out. It's so much clearer. Well, we're used to kind of stumbling around it. 
That's not what the text says. The text identifies this darkness and links it with death. The greatest separation you can possibly imagine. What's held before you is not a life full of light and a life that's kind of dimmish. What's held before you is a light full of the life of, and the light of Jesus Christ and a life that is dead and full of darkness. That's the positions that are being held before us as we come before the Lord and He says, I am the light of the world. What do we do? Anyone who follows Me, anyone who follows Me will not walk in darkness. By the way, what's the implication of that? That there are, that if you don't follow Jesus, you are walking in darkness. One of the things that my family and I uh, did when we were growing up, we don't do it any longer, kids are graduated, but when they were in high school and before that, we always went camping. We do a lot of outdoor wilderness camping. We set up a tent someplace and then we go and explore the trails that are around us. And because we enjoy hiking, we'd be hiking late in the evening and in, when you're outside late at night, it gets a lot darker than what you expect. And sure enough, we'd be on these trails someplace. And the trail during the day is nice and clear. You know exactly where you're going. And yet we get out there a certain spot and the darkness would come in and we'd lose track of the trail. And if it weren't for the fact that we had one flashlight, this happened more times than I want to confess to, um, that if it weren't for the one flashlight, and how did we get home, the four of us? How did we get back to the tent? Every single time, one person held the light and held it up high, and they went in front, and as long as everyone followed after them, they made it home safe. Jesus says, follow me, and you will Make it home safe. C.S. Lewis says, I believe in Christianity like I believe that the sun is ridden, not only because I can see it, but because by it I can see everything else. He gave a great illustration of that in a book uh, in his Narnia Chronicles, the very last one called The Last Battle. You have a shed, and the shed is, is uh, full of darkness, a completely dark shed. And the heroes are captured in this story and they're thrown into the shed. And as they get dumped into the shed, the doors are shut and they're complete blackness. They're in complete darkness. And it's a horrifying experience for them and they are terrified and it's an incredibly emotional experience until they realize that the shed is actually a magical doorway to, an, to a land that is filled with light and filled with glory and everything that is marvelous and everything that is wonderful. And suddenly as the heroes are walking around in this glorious land, they are overcome by everything that they can see and how everything makes sense. And it's a beautiful and perfect land. And they come upon a group of people that are huddled together and they're all sitting in a circle And they go up to them and say, what are you doing? And these people say, don't bother us. It's dark around here. Don't bump into us because we can't see anything in the blackness of the shed. And the people say, what are you talking about? You're here in the bright outdoors. It's beautiful here. And they're like, no, no, it's dark. We can't see anything. We're terrified. We can't live this life. We can't live a life. We can't move around because of the darkness that is here. And the heroes, no matter what they do, can't convince these people that they're living in the midst 
of the light. So many of the people that we work with, that we live with, that we love, are huddled in the darkness, afraid to live the life, because they don't see the light of the world that is held right before them. So many areas of your life are shrouded in darkness, and you're afraid to live the life that God has intended for you to live, because you've allowed Christ to have a portion of your life, but not touch every area of your world. God says that He is the light, Christ says, that He is the light of the world for each and every one of us. Let's pray together. Father, how grateful we are for the love and care that You have given to us, that You have not left us without the light of this world. We are not left to stumble around, but instead, Lord, You have indeed given us the light of life in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Lord, how we need to know of His love and grace. How we need to be touched more fully by His love. For there is nothing that commends us besides His deep love for us. As we live well, we know, in darkness. Yet it is His grace, His free gift of love that has poured out His light upon us. Lord, help us to allow and to open up our hearts so that He might shine light into every area of who we are. And having had that light shine before us, that we might embrace Him fully and completely as our Lord and Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen.